guys. This morning, uh, I'm really excited to kick off this new series in the book of James. Hey, can we say goodbye to our kids and our junior hires? See you guys. Um, we're titling this series Practical Wisdom. Uh, and wisdom should be practical. Wisdom should be something that can be applied. And so we'll get into that a little bit. But before we jump into the, the, um, the introduction to our, our next maybe seven or so weeks, um, don't quote me on that because it could be like 17. You just never know. I know one of those weeks we're, we're going to have the privilege of hearing from Dale Van Steenis. How many of you know Dale Van Steenis? Dale is a missionary that we've supported for 39 years. You know how I know 39 years? Because we were 39 as a church last Sunday. Last Sunday was our birthday, right? Yeah. Nobody cares. That was like, that was like pity clap. That's awesome. Like 39 years. You know, that God, God has established something here, and he's faithfully bringing it along, and so um, we celebrate that. But we, we're going to be able to hear from Dale in a couple of weeks, and so that'll, that'll be an additional week. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll love hearing from him, the updates of what God's doing around the world. Uh, but back to, to today, um, and one quick announcement. So um, many of you know, I think I've shared before, I know I've shared before, that I have the privilege of serving as a police chaplain with the city of Orange. And one of the things that I get to do is ride along in police cars and, and encourage police officers and be there for the community. In fact, like on Tuesday, um, I was riding with a, a young police officer. And the older I get, the younger they get. It's so weird. It's so weird. I'm like, are you allowed to have a gun? You know, so, but um, anyways, we, we got a call and we got to go with the lights and sirens to this accident, and we arrive at the accident, and fortunately it was not a, a major accident, it was, it was a minor one, and um, this poor lady, she was in her 80s, and she gets out, and she's, you know, kind of frail, and, and, and she, you know, she's mortified that this whole thing happened, and she steps out of the car, and she goes, oh my gosh, I feel so terrible, I just need someone to make me feel better, and I go, that's my whole job. I'm here for you. This guy, he's a police officer. He's here to do his job. My whole job is just to make you feel better. Come on, let me make you feel better. And we got to hang out with her while all that was taking place and, you know, helped her exchange her information. Nobody was hurt, so God is good. So as, as, we're, as I was doing that and kind of comforting her, I hear this like, hey, Pastor Danny. So a, a guy who lives on the corner that I happen to know, he's all, I got camera of the whole thing. We, I filmed the whole accident. We're sitting there catching up. I mean, don't you love the city of Orange? like, Mayberry, right? We're just like, we're all just hanging out. So um, during that time, one of the, uh, the senior uh, uh, police officers had said, hey, we would really love to have more involvement with churches. And I said, well, you guys love coffee and donuts, and we love coffee and donuts, right? No stereotypes or anything, but um, why don't you send somebody and, and come um, on a Sunday to our coffee hour? You know, we have our, our walkway. And we're calling it Coffee with a Cop. So next Sunday, on the 22nd at 9.30, we're going to have a, a sergeant from Orange Police Department who will be here. And the whole reason he wants to be here is just to check you guys out, make sure you're legit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> the whole reason he's here is just to, just to be an encouragement and to um, be a, a, a representation of our police department. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you live in the city of Orange and you're worried about your neighbor, give him, their, give him that guy's address. Um, if you want to figure out how to get out of a ticket, like all those things are, you know, you can ask him any of that stuff. 
Um, but but in, in honesty, the, the city of Orange just wants to be connected with the community. And um, what a privilege that, that we get to host them um, this next coming Sunday. So if you don't come out to Walkway, uh, I'd encourage you to come out. You can meet a cop, a real live one, and uh, have coffee and donuts and ask any questions that you have or just encourage him. All right? So that's that. Um, into James. Um, man, uh, I have so much. I have so many notes. Don't you love hearing that as the pastor begins to talk? You're like, ooh. There's so many um, things to say about this great book, and I'm just going to give you what I hope is, a, is an overview that will chart the course for how we want to study this, um, this epistle. An epistle is just a fancy word for a letter. Um, James is a letter that was written to a specific group of people in a specific time. And it made it into the canon of Scripture. And so we know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that even though it was a a specific letter written in a specific time for a specific people, it's timeless. And so it's here for us to apply to our lives. The title of our series is Practical Wisdom. And I think you're going to find, as you read through the book of James, it reads a lot like the book of Proverbs. How many of you enjoy the book of Proverbs? Yeah? Proverbs is a, if, if you're wondering like where to jump into um, reading the Bible, um, sometimes it can be like, wow, it's this whole book, where do I start? Um, flip to the middle of the book and, and start whatever the day of the week that it is. Um, there's 31 Proverbs. Pick one of those Proverbs and read it and you'll find such wisdom. They're like these little one-liners, one after the other. And James has like a ton of one-liners. I'll, I'll give you some example of that and sort of picking up um, a verse from each chapter and there'll be verses that are familiar to you. Um, so it's, it's called a general epistle, which means that even though it's written to a specific people, it has a, a wide audience. The, the, the comparison would be if you were to study the book of Galatians, you would know that that letter is written specifically to a church in a region. In just a moment, we'll read and you'll see that this is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations or the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Um, keep that word scattered and dispersion in your mind. We'll, we'll circle back around to that in just a moment. Um, so it's written to this wide audience. It's written in a, in a way that, as I have already said, is, is very, um, very timeless. And if I can say, it's almost confrontational. Like, it gets involved in your life. He talks about stuff that, that needs to be talked about. And, um, and so if you're up for that, uh, I think God will do some great things. If you're up for that at any point in your life, allowing the Holy Spirit to come into every, every nook and cranny of your life and, and shine the light of, of God into those areas, um, God does it because he wants to shape and mold and mature us. And we see that right in the first few verses of James. Um, if you're a doer, how many of you would consider yourself a doer? Like, I'm a, man, I'm going to get it done. It, it was funny. This, this is um, what one of the police officers told me on Tuesday. And, and this is, you know, there's always a friendly kind of uh, banter between police and fire. You know, he says, cops get it done. We're proactive. We do stuff. He goes, firefighters sit back and play video games and wait until something bad happens. And then they respond and react to that. So I don't know if that's true, but it, it illustrates two different kind of people. It illustrates those that are doers, like we're going to be proactive and get it done, and those that are reactors, you know, that I'm going to react to something. And the world needs both of those kind of people. But if you're, if you're a doer, um, James is for you. 
If you're one who is, has wrestled in your faith and you've been like, man, I'm praying, praying, praying and nothing's happening. Um, James teaches you how to put feet to your prayer. Have you ever heard that, that um, saying before? Sometimes you're the answer to that prayer. Oh, God, change, you know, you know, change that person. Help them to know the gospel. Help them to know the reality of your truth. Oh, God, change that person. And God's like, go tell them about me. You know, that's an example of being feet to your prayer. And so James is very practical in that regard. And so um, it is a book of action, and it is uh, a book of confrontation. And so for that, it's pretty exciting. It'll take us through things like um, our own apathy and inaction, our neglect for the poor and needy, um, empty religious practices, and so much more. And so um, I want to give you just a few samples from, from James and um, th- verses that you, you might have heard. Then I want to go into a little bit about who this guy was. And, um, and then we have the privilege of receiving communion after all of that to really um, come together as a congregation to submit to the Lord and say, God, whatever you want to do in our lives in these next several weeks, we're up for it. Are you up for it? Yeah. All right. So let's look at James chapter 1. Um, James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4, we'll start with that. I'm not going to preach on each of these, but I'm going to just give you a kind of big picture of the Bible, of, of this particular um, portion of Scripture. James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I feel like this verse is quoted quite often on any given Sunday. I feel like it's given to, um, you know, that we encourage one another with it, that we read it, that we understand it. But it's right out of the gate. This is how he um, opens up this letter. And right out of the gate, he shares this passage with us so that we'll kind of reframe the way that we look at tests and trials. I loved Pastor Andy's sermon last week, and he used that terminology. Uh, A frame makes the picture look different. Isn't it true? You can have a piece of art and you can have like a maybe big ornate kind of picture frame and your eyes are looking at the picture frame and not the artwork. In the same way, you can have an appealing kind of frame that helps you to really see what that artwork is. And to follow along the analogy, as much as it's difficult for us to embrace, sometimes tests and trials and temptation are a work of art in our life but we can't see it if all we're looking at is the frame that it's in. And so we have to put a new frame around it. And the new frame around that that test trial, the difficulty in our life, is that God is answering our other prayers. God's answering those prayers of, Lord, mold me, shape me. Do whatever you want in me. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, just do whatever you want in my life? God, I'm yours. How many of you have made Jesus the Lord of your life? That's a big deal. You're the Lord of my life. You know, um, in, in here, James says that we submit to God, we resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. We submit to God, we draw near to him, and he draws near to us. Doing that submission piece, that part of, God, all that I have is yours, opens the door for him to perfect you. And it's so much easier to ask God to perfect somebody else and then to analyze their life And to go, oh, this is why this and this is happening. God's shaping and molding something in them. It's so much easier to do that than it is to go, oh, this is painful. 
but Lord, you're doing something in me. And so I'm accepting what you're doing in my life. And so, um, so we see the, the reframing of trials and tests. They lead to maturity. That word perfect does not mean a perfectionist. That word perfect means complete. And it says not lacking in anything. The second part of, um, of this in chapter 2, jumping down to another sample verse from chapter 2. It says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. How many Lutherans do we have in the house? Uh, Martin Luther did not like this passage of Scripture. He was really outspoken about it because we know um, Martin Luther's message was about salvation by grace, right? Grace alone through faith. And it doesn't mean that this is uh, heresy and that Martin Luther is the end all of things. But what it means is that there's a partnership between our actions causing our faith to come alive. It's not, it, and James says it, man, you, 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 faith without doing something is dead. And it's almost as if that faith that we have, it's the difference between like, I'm willing to do anything, God, right? God, I'm willing to give all to you. Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere you want me to go. The difference between faith and action is, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere you want me to go. God, I'm willing to take whatever step you want me to take, right? It's, it's the position that we move forward that act, activates our faith. And so James speaks to that. Doing is not wrong when you're living by faith. But like any of these things, if you're a doer, you might know that it's your superpower as well as your kryptonite. If you're a doer, it could be your superpower as well as your kryptonite. Because it's in this area that as doers, we sometimes get ahead of God and we say, no, I got, I got this. But doing in, in, in relationship to faith is just fine, provided that you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Not only is it just fine, it's what he wants us to do. We're in partnership with him and that requires action. James will speak to that and we'll talk more in the weeks to come. James chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. This is a good one. It speaks to the power of our words. It says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. and has been tamed by mankind. Um, but no human being can tame the tongue. Speaking of which, have you guys ever been around the circle and see that guy that walks around with a goose? Yes. Strange bird, right? Like, I mean, not the guy, but the bird. Okay, anyways. Um... So anything can be tamed, even this guy's pet goose. In fact, one time I saw somebody walking in the orange circle with a donkey and a goose. Like they were, they were, pro, they were not protesting, but they were advertising something. Like just cruising through, again, Mayberry, um, with a donkey and a goose. So you can tame donkeys, you can tame geese, you can tame all sorts of stuff. But it says no human being can tame what? The tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And then I love this statement. My brothers, this ought not to be so. So James talks to us about and gives us warnings about the power of our words. And I'm sure that the Lord will do some things in us and bring some conviction and some practical, um, pa- practical application as to how we might tame our own tongue through the power of the Spirit. James gives us warnings about pride. How many people struggle with pride? You wouldn't raise, oh, good. That's humility. It was, it was a test, because if you really struggle with pride, you probably wouldn't want to raise your hand. Um, but <laughs> anyways, I thought that was funnier than it probably really was. Um, 
warning about the dangers of pride. Here's the, the spoiler alert. We all struggle with pride. It was injected in you when you were born, right? That you were not born perfect and sinless. Only Jesus was. That's why he came to, to fix the problem of sin. We were born into sin. We've said this millions of times. You don't have to teach a toddler how to be selfish. They know how to do that right away. And so, so pride is in us. And some of our pride manifests as like a lion, you know, where we come off with a lot of bravado and whatever else, you know. Other pride is more subtle, and it can manifest like a worm. You know, oh, no, not me. And manipulatively can be like, like a false humility, diminishing yourself in order to get people to maybe want to do what you want them to do. You may not even know you're doing this, but it's another form of pride. There's a spectrum of this pride. So we all are we all wrestling with it. That's why we can all apply James and so um, James says this to us, the power through the Holy Spirit. But he gives more grace, therefore, it says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then he says in, in a follow-up verse in verse 10, he gives us this great opportunity. Humble yourself. Everybody say, humble yourself. Humbling yourself is a great, great opportunity God gives us. Because I do believe by his grace, because he's perfecting us, if we choose not to humble ourselves, I think the result is he brings humility into our life. And it's so much better when we choose humility than when we have to deal with the humbling that God could so lovingly and as a good father give to us. I'm sure you can all think of some examples. I know I have some in my life. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. And then the last sample, as we come through all the chapters in, in, in James chapter 5, this is, a, as it's beginning to wrap up the verse, um, in, in the New King James, and this is the way I've heard it repeated many times, it says, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much. How many of you are used to hearing that? J Again, you're going to hear, like, if you've grown up in the church, oh, that's where that's found. It's in James. There's, like, there's 108 commands in James, right? But this particular one, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much. It brings us back to, like, to a balance point. Like, it isn't just about all the stuff that you can do for God, but it's a reality of God miraculously working through you, wanting to partner with you and developing your character along the way. And you don't just get to sideline yourself. You have action and stuff that you've got to do. But it's all done through the power of the Spirit, and it's done miraculously. Like, we can never lose the wonder of a God who heals. Amen? We can never lose the wonder of a God who provides miraculously. A God who gives wisdom when we ask. Linda, uh, Linda shared uh, a couple weeks ago about um, her uh, trial through learning that she had cancer. And we were, we were exchanging emails after. And she said, I think I forgot to say that I'm cancer free. That was the punchline of the whole thing. And so praise God, you're cancer free in the end of it all. Um, I think you were just glowing so much talking about how God was carrying you through the trial. Like, and, and that speaks to the wonder of how good God is. Like he carried her through it. And the punchline was that he also healed her of cancer. So God does these things. And here's what it says in James chapter 5 and verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. We're going to just take a moment and do that now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen, there, there's, there's some, again, I, I said I'm not going to teach on, on every passage, but... James is saying something there. 
Um, there's a reason that he speaks to repentance and, and being able to uh, confess to one another. You don't have to confess your sins to another person to be, uh, to be forgiven. But James is dealing with a, a, a situation in time where people were not acting authentically to the faith that they professed. Remember, this is, uh, this is just about 10 to 15 years after Jesus was crucified. It's still relatively new that the Son of God walked the earth, was, was crucified, and rose again. And we know that those who crucified Jesus were religious leaders that were inauthentic in their faith. In fact, Jesus like, called them whitewashed tombs. He hit, he hit them very strong. And so part of what James is saying here is in order to be a community of Christ, there has to be true community. And that true community has to do with being honest with one another and having that place to be able to um, share your weaknesses, to share your sin, to go to God together and receive forgiveness. Does that make sense? Amen. So those are, those are just some, um, some big picture samplings of it. Now, I want to um, just go through some basic information. If you like to jot notes, these are good things to, to jot down. Um, because it's a letter, we want to, as we study it, we want to know who wrote the letter. Uh, there are lots of James in the Bible. James um, would be like, I don't know, a name like Tom or something like that in, in our current situation where you may, might meet a lot. There were a lot of Jameses. <laughs> and... Um, Without going down a big rabbit hole, what's widely believed is that the James who wrote this letter was Jesus' half-brother, right? It's Jesus' half-brother because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So um, different traditions believe different ways. There's lots you can research on. But what's widely held through the centuries by scholars is that Mary and Joseph had multiple children. Um, the gospel gives an account to some names of these children. James is one of them. And so this is that James. Can you imagine what it would be like for Jesus, growing up with Jesus as your older brother? It, scripture does give some insight into it. because, And, and this is a, a, an important point. Um, James was like the guy who watched his older brother grow up. And then at some point watches his older brother begin an earthly ministry that was super controversial. And if you, if you look at... Um, the way that Jesus' own family responded to him, you might, you might go, oh, okay, this James who writes this over here was a different person over here. And let me, let me give you the example um, straight out of the Bible. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, and verse 55, you want to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but it says... Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother Mary? And are these not his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Um, Judas is another really common name. Uh, it's not Judas Iscariot. That's why there's, his name is off, 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 excuse me, often followed up with that. But this is Judas um, who wrote the book of Jude. So that just a little FYI there. So it's a list of, of his brothers and then it says, and are not all these his sisters with us? So he has this bigger family. And, and where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without, without honor except in his own hometown and his own household. So you're beginning to get the picture that everybody's like, wait a minute. We know this guy. He's nothing special. Like there's all his family. We've seen these guys grow up. 
But then it goes another layer as you look at, at John chapter 3. Oh, excuse me, John chapter 7. And I'll read that as well. But in John chapter 7, Jesus' ministry, he's, he's beginning to get more controversial. And they're beginning to want to kill him. And so he's, um, he, things are really heating up. And he's like, hey guys, I'm not going to go to Judea. And this is a moment, like a brother moment. I don't think I'm reading too much into scripture, but his brother like calls him out, right? And here, here's what it says. It says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. But if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse five says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So what happened between the time where you've got this guy who grows up with his older brother Jesus, he's a skeptic, he doesn't, doesn't believe in him, he's calling him out to a guy who writes the, one of the earliest, probably the earliest letter in the New Testament, and he goes from being a skeptic to what Galatians calls him is a pillar. I remember um, when I first started as a pastor, somebody said, oh, this couple over here, they're pillars in the church, right? Have you ever, if you grew up in the church, heard that terminology? Pillars in the church, meaning those who have been around for a long time, they have sound wisdom. James goes from being this skeptic to being known as a pillar in the church, releasing Paul and Barnabas into ministry. I want to stop here for a minute and, and say this, that wherever you find yourself... Remember earlier in our worship time, we were saying, you know, this is his story for you, but maybe this feels like your story over here. Wherever you find yourself, or maybe even those that you really love, don't write them off and don't write off your story because God's doing something. And so often in Scripture, most often in Scripture, the least likely people become the ones who are most used of God. Are you tracking with me? This is really good news. And I think this fits with the, um, the theme of James and what I feel like God wants to say to us as a congregation today. I'm going to like just give up the other half of my notes because there's just, you just talk to me about it. I'll give you, and you could get it yourself, when it was written, where it was written, all that kind of stuff. It's important, but not as important as this. The very first line in the book of James says, James, a servant of God. Okay, so he didn't say, James, I grew up with Jesus. He didn't say, James, you know, I could tell you so much about him because I was with him more than even his disciples who really only spent a couple years with him. James, a servant of God, is how he identified himself. Something happens to the pride of a person who was once a skeptic because it takes kind of a healthy amount of pride to reject God and to poke holes and whatever else. Because right there next to pride is a whole lot of insecurity. That's what we do when we're insecure is we activate pride to be like we're better than, right? And so something happens to the one who was once a skeptic and who's now this powerful person in the kingdom of God who identifies himself not in his closeness in, in family relationship with Jesus, but as a servant. And then he says something. He says, to the 12 tribes scattered. And I couldn't get away from this word dispersion, right? Dispersion. Everybody say dispersion. Dispersion means 
scattered. And the reason that these 12 tribes were scattered, these were, were Jewish converts. That means that they grew up in um, practicing Jewish tradition and, and feasts and so forth, but they accept that Jesus is the Messiah. And now 10 to 15 years later, they're still walking with him. But as they're walking with him, the excitement of what it was like when they first discovered the Messiah is beginning to, to drift a little bit because what happens is it's costing them their lives. The persecution begins to to unfold, much like we read about in Hebrews, persecution unfolds, and when it does, it sends people scattering about. So they're they're so far away from the temple, they're far away from Jerusalem, they're scattered all over Asia Minor, and he's telling them, "You have this in common. You know, you have one another, you have community." But within their scattering, they needed comfort and they needed encouragement. And this is what I believe the word of the Lord is for us, is that some of us in this room feel scattered. Maybe we feel scattered in our thinking, right? You know that term scatterbrained? Oh, I'm so scatterbrained. Um, maybe we feel scattered in, in, our, in our physical um, locations, you know, that, that we're not in the home that we used to be in or, or um, you know, God's moving us or God's moving other people in our lives, and it's producing all kinds of change. What it says is it's addressed to those folks who are feeling scattered, who are physically scattered, but he's saying count it all joy because God is doing something. God didn't um, unleash the persecution. That was a choice. In fact, that is demonic in nature. But what God did was use it. And so in some redeeming, amazing way, only God can take scattering and make it into something productive for the kingdom and something beautiful. And I hope that you'll hear this, that the hope for you in this coming year, and maybe even in this moment, that some of that scattering that is happening in your relationships, that's happening in your thinking, that's happening in your physical location, maybe it didn't didn't occur um, because of something you did, something someone negative did towards you. If that is the case or not, God will still use it. This is your um, this is your little saying, right? Little sounds like it's um, I should have said little because it sounds like uh, yeah insignificant. It's not insignificant. This is your saying. Your small words. Count it all joy, right? Everybody say count it all joy. We should do it in one voice. (laughs) Count it all joy. Why? Why can we count it all joy? Because God has a plan. He truly does. And so my, my encouragement to you as you're feeling scattered, as you're experiencing the effects of scattered, is to, to flip the script a little bit. That might, that might lead you to despair. That might lead you to, oh, to, man, I'm, I miss this. I'm so bummed about this. Why can't this be that? And a litany of questions and, and, and uh, sort of a chasing a rabbit trail or chasing your tail or, uh, around to try to figure out why something is going on. But to break that, to go, okay, I count it all joy. Not joy that you're facing something difficult, but joy that God is with you, that he's walking with you, and he promises to do so. And so um, as we begin to wrap this time up, I want to I say this about James. The one who was a skeptic, the one who was in, in so many ways a least likely candidate, becomes somebody who is known as the pillar in the church, this wise person, 
He had a couple of nicknames, right? And, and here they are. Um, the first nickname, do you know what a, you know what a camel does when, when, you, when you ride a camel? I've never seen a camel in the orange circle, but I'm sure that there's been a time where there was. But when you, a camel is trained in the desert when, um, when it sees the person that's going to ride on its back. It, it's so tall that it kneels down. It's quite a thing to see. The camel kneels down and it waits for you. It kind of hangs out on its knees. And because it hangs out on its knees, its knees are all gnarly and calloused. James from history literally had a nickname, and his nickname was Old Camel Knees. <laughs> it, it's in history. The second name that he, nickname that he had is James the Just. Somewhere along his journey from skeptic to these moments where he's writing, he becomes known for something completely different than where he started. You can be known for something completely different than from where you've started. Your child, your adult kid, your loved one, that terrible person at work, whoever it is, they can be known for something completely different at a different point in their life when they begin to surrender and submit to the working of the Holy Spirit in them. That's really good news. Because one of the biggest lies that we tend to believe um, throughout this broken world is that eh, people don't change. People never change. And that produces an a unbelief and kind of a, a hardness of heart. And so my prayer is that like through James, we will restore the wonder of what God can do through fervent, effectual prayer of righteous people. Amen? And so, um, so here, here's just a little bit, just so you know, I'm not making stuff up. Um, there's a, a second century historian, Hegesippus. That is for sure the right way to pronounce his name. Um, this is a quote that he says about James. It says, he was in the habit of entering alone into the temple. James, by the way, not only became a, this writer, but he was also a key leader in the Jerusalem church. Some, uh, some historians would say he was actually like the pastor of the Jerusalem church, which was a big deal. And so the temple was there. So he would have the habit of entering the temple alone. And as frequently, he was found upon his knees begging for forgiveness for the people, so that his knees became hard like those of a camel, in consequence um, of his constantly bending them in his worship to God, asking for forgiveness for the people. The second part of that quote says this, that um, because of his exceeding great justice, he was called the just, or that's a Greek word, oblias, which signifies in Greek the bulwark of the people and justice. There goes James the Just. There goes old camel knees. Not, there goes that, was that guy Jesus' brother and he doesn't even follow him? It made me stop and think like, what's my nickname? You know, what's, what's your nickname? Nicknames are, are given throughout history to, to show the behaviors of people. And those are pretty good ones. And God is... He's formulating something in you and me that he's shaping our nicknames. And so there's a lot of hope in that. Amen? Well, I've talked long enough because it was important for me to leave time for communion. And so um, I'll share some of the other stuff that I have written in these nine pages of notes at another time. But I hope you'll hear what I believe the Spirit is saying. You're not lost even if you're scattered. I hope you'll hear what the Spirit is saying, is that maybe you were once a skeptic, or maybe you know some skeptics, but you're not stuck there. 
Count it all joy. Count it all joy. God is still in the business of shaping our hearts. It's the work of Jesus. It's what he has promised to do. And it's what we signed up for when we decided to make him Lord of our lives. So this journey in James will be an adventure for us. Um, It's a good thing. It's a good thing for God to challenge us. That's why we can count it all joy. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And I can't think of a, a better way to kick off this series and even this message than to come to the Lord's table in communion. I'm remembering what it said in James about repentance, about true, authentic religion. James says that true and undefiled religion isn't the amount of worship songs that we sing. It isn't how loud we sing them. It isn't how long we pray. It isn't how many verses we read in the Bible. All that's important. He says pure and undefiled religion is caring for orphans and widows and keeping oneself unstained by the world. You don't have to raise your hand, but I imagine throughout any week you would come on a Sunday and go, from the time we met last week to this week, I feel a little stained. That that the world that we live in has all kinds of temptations that are there for us, has all kinds of just stuff. And communion is such a precious gift from God that's been done for 2,000 years. That we can come and remember what Jesus did for us. That we can remember the simplicity of the gospel. That he forgives us. That all things are becoming new. And so, would you just begin to prepare your heart? I'm going to invite Sarah and Bill Jackson. Bill's one of our deacons. And they're going to, um, they prepared the communion for you today. And they're going to bless it. But I'm going to give you some time as we hear this song of worship to prepare your heart. Don't be in a hurry for communion. Don't be in a hurry to go through the process of breaking bread and drinking a cup. Take the time that you need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to give you that great and amazing gift of forgiveness as you confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Don't, for, don't, don't miss the opportunity to have this moment to go, you know what? I do feel like I'm a skeptic, but I want to submit that skepticism to God and surrender to him and surrender to the, to the work that he's done on the cross. I want him to change who I am. I want him to take some of that pride that's in my life. God does these things for us, and he's good. And so prepare your heart. The Bible says don't take communion or receive it in an unworthy manner. Are there relationships that you, you might need to bring before the Lord? Are there some bitternesses in our hearts that we're hanging on to because we're justified to do it? Is there a, a sin that's just... Oh, you feel so convicted of. The good news is there's something to do with all of that. Bring it before the Lord. Allow him to care for you. Allow him to bring forgiveness and then remember this moment together. As they lead this song, um, just begin to prepare your hearts. Amazing grace, how sweet the sun that saves
invite you to come. There's four tables that are in the four kind of corners of the church, whether you want to come to the front or to the back, but just feel free to get up when you're ready and, and take the, the cracker, the, the bread, and then take the cup, and um, if somebody needs help with that, just help them and, and serve them, but um, when you're ready, let's receive, or let's at least take these elements, and then um, we'll break bread together. Hang on to them once you have them in your hand. take this bread we remember that you are the bread of life you feed our souls you nourish our hearts and you give us sustenance 
to run the race before us. As we break this bread, we feel the softness of your love for us. Amen. We smell the fragrance of the grace you release afresh each day. We thank you with all our hearts for the great price you paid when you were crucified on the cross for us. And the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Let's break it and eat. remember that you are the giver of life. You are forgiveness. You bring deep peace to our souls, and your love flows within us. As we pour out this wine, we see your sacrifice poured out for us. We notice the depth of your goodness and the pain you suffered for us. We dwell upon the intricacy of human life and the price you paid to set humanity free. Yet just as the tombstone rolled away to unleash the risen Lord, your light shines in our hearts now, extinguishing all darkness to release heaven's blessings upon us. We thank you, Lord, as we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you shed. Let's drink together. This is Christ's blood shed for us. Before we, we wrap up this time, I want to share um, this last portion in, in James. James tells us that we're not just supposed to be hearers of the words, but, but we're doers, right? And I realize in my own life, I think in studying James, it's helping me how much doing just is comfortable, just comfortable. Um, doing meaning like, doing what, what I think is the next thing to do, even being comfortable in a church service doing the next thing. And there's such a hunger in my heart, and I think there is in yours for the presence of God, right? The presence of God is different than just our own doing our own way. It's about hearing what God's saying and doing what he says. And he visits us, he meets with us, and he gives us all kinds of freedom to do that in scripture had a experience today, even this morning, like, oh, it's communion, you know, it just felt like, oh, it's Friday, like, it's just the next thing, and it, it, it convicted me, like, it convicted me that this would feel normal, like, this is supernatural, the breaking of bread is supernatural, the drinking of the cup is supernatural, the promises in God's word that if you're sick, he wants to heal you, is supernatural, it's not like, oh, yeah, and, and when we're going to eat after this? And I want freedom from that. Don't you? Long for God's presence. Long for it. If you're sick, if you're discouraged, if you're scattered in the dispersion, if you're feeling skeptical, 
there's a place for you. Like, what better of a place right among the elements that you see, his body broken for you and his blood shed for you. We would love to pray for you. We would love to pray that God would heal your body. We would love to pray that God would encourage you and give you perspective in your trial. Um, sometimes when you're hearing like count it all joy, you don't feel like counting it all joy. Get around people who will help count joy for you, right? And so um, as they play this song again, if you feel like you want prayer for anything at all, you just need encouragement, you need a touch from God, you're connecting with like, yeah, I long for his presence as well. Why not right now? Like, right, why not in this moment? And so feel free to just come as they, they play this song and we'll, we'll pray for you. Thank you. presence. God, I thank you for your power. Thank you for the way that you're working in and through us. I bless your people today, God. May your word feed and nourish their soul. But Lord, not just a a little snack, but Lord, something that produces change. That does the, the next step to the good work that you're beginning in each one of our hearts. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for these reminders from the book of James. Thank you for this season of study together. Lead us and guide us. We say yes to you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Hey, I want to ask you before you, you leave, just if, if you want to slip out, if you got to go, go. But don't forget, um, come if you need prayer. You know, come if you need prayer. And feel free to hang out. Feel free to visit. But be sensitive of this area for those that, that need ministry. And if you're one of them, come on up. All right. God bless you. Have an amazing week.